hockey for the LA Kings because they are in the second season the Stanley Cup playoffs and it's a bonus show from the Bannerman because we are doing a playoff preview episode one week after we did our last episode which if you follow us you know that's unprecedented for us how are you tonight Vardy I'm good man I'm psyched I moved heaven and earth so we can make this happen so we can give the fans exactly what they crave which is our deep insight as to how the playoffs are going to go uh, as we record, all the game ones are done from every series, mm-hmm. um, which includes the Kings. And after game one, the series is one nothing Vegas, and we're going to dive into that game right now. So right off the bat, I think you and I both said that we both kind of wanted Vegas in the first round. Mm-hmm. And, and I think mm-hmm. it was more so because we didn't want Anaheim or San Jose. I think that was more of our line of thinking um and after game one man i don't know i'm kind of i i might have been wrong on that one Vardy. <laughs> i might have been wrong there how do you feel about that um i don't i still don't think we were wrong about that i i think i'd still prefer in a seven game series to play vegas being untested you know and over the San Jose team that made it to the cup finals last year or, or a Ducks team that certainly got plenty of playoff experience on board. Um, so I think, I I think we can all agree that game one was a steaming pile of turd from the standpoint of the Kings, both, uh, during the game and, and obviously for, uh, more recent developments since the game. Um, but let's let's go in chronological order, shall we? Uh, I don't think, aside from I would say Jonathan Quick's play uh, in that first game, I don't think the Kings, to a man, will tell you that there was much to be happy about. I don't no. care how John Stevens sugarcoats it, and you know, we like the way the young guys who hadn't been here played and whatnot. It, it's tough for me to look at the objective evidence of that game. And um, and be happy with how the team played, and it's 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 tough for me to believe that anyone on the Kings roster is happy with how they played either. No, I'm with you, man. There's um, if you really really stretch, you could find some positives. Um, but overall, I mean, the Kings had almost no sustained offense. Yes, they had looks. Yes, Kopitar had a few looks at the net that he decided to deke backhand, or I don't know what he was thinking on those, but. If you talk about zone time, possession, setting up in the offensive zone, uh, moving the puck around so that the Vegas defensive structure can somewhat come apart, I don't think it happened at all. I mean, I think our chances were off the rush. I think our chances were few and far in between, maybe off some scramble plays, turnovers. Uh, Those were the only real looks I remember the Kings having on Flurry. And that's, you know, Vegas for everything... Uh, they've been called they've been called a freewheeling team fast speedy creative uh, almost you know freestyling out there one thing they haven't been called too much is a very sound defensive team and yesterday they they look like one Uh, they look like they had a complete game plan on how to shut the kings down the kings couldn't break out of their zone and it all started with their forecheck uh, vegas's forecheck i mean you know really pressuring the king's defenseman the king's 
D wasn't really able to make too many clean passes to leave the zone. And if they did, on the rare chance that they had a look and they made a pass, it felt like the neutral zone was completely clogged up to the point where the team was having trouble just chipping and chasing. The most mm-hmm. kind of fundamental way to set up an offensive scheme, it just it wasn't happening. I don't think the Kings ever, ever got into any kind of rhythm in that game. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. And, and it does begin and end with the forecheck, right? I mean, you know the type of team that you're going to get with the Knights. You're going to get a bunch of guys who are completely bought in at this point to Gerard Gallant's coaching strategy. Um, skate, skate, skate some more. And then, you know, maybe if there's time, try skating. That's basically <laughs> their their approach to offense and defense. And um, I think... I think they gave our defense quite a bit of fits with their forecheck and how they were clogging up for that first pass. And um, typically, you know, the Kings aren't a team that's going to beat you in a foot race, especially not against a team like Vegas. And so once it became a bit of a, more of like a track meet game back and forth, you don't expect to get much from the Kings in that type of a setting. I kept watching, hoping that they would be able to set up something, you know, dump and chase bang it out in the corner, set up some sort of a cycle game and actually get them to kind of break away from that structure. Um, but it just was never happening. It just never seemed to come up, come together um, for various reasons. You know, it, it seemed like they were just one step ahead right from the drop. Quite frankly, it's miraculous. It only ended one zero. Totally. Um, I mean, the Kings had a couple chances, but they were few and far between. And I think if you look at the shot charts, we put this on our Twitter uh, today. I retweeted it. Um, there was a shot chart just kind of looking at where their five, uh, five on five shot metrics were. And there's this huge gap going right down the face off dots to either end. There was no shots basically coming from there. I think there was two shots the entire game from the Kings of the 30 shots that they had. They came from anywhere within the face off dots. Right. And I don't, I don't even remember them because they, they were probably just random shots. It just, I don't know. I, I think everything, you know, there's been few games like that throughout the season. Um, the Kings only got shot, shut out a handful of times this season. Um, but there's been a few games like that where it just seemed like they really weren't sure how to approach the game. And when they were hesitant, the other team was dictating the play. And last night was exactly like that. They just had no idea how to respond and vegas came out flying from the get-go and just kept up that pressure the entire time they did and and in many ways i somewhat expected them vegas that is to come out you know guns blazing house on fire i totally expected that and that's their first playoff game in that barn as a franchise you know i remember i don't remember who i told over text i said i wouldn't be surprised if it's like two nothing vegas after one and the kings Mm -hmm. are just you know almost look like they're not in the game at all and yeah, i mean that's the kings anyway this season right like just constantly <laughs> there's allowing the first goal anyway there's that too yeah but i mean it just it felt like that's how it was gonna go part of me did think that the game in general would slow down a little bit towards the second and third and it just never happened it never happened mm-hmm. for the kings it never happened for for vegas they just kept coming and that's one thing that you got to respect about vegas is that no matter what the score is they play the same way uh they rolled four lines they came at you in waves they never 
you know, went into some kind of shell with a one nothing lead. They just kept rolling and kept attacking. And yeah, if it wasn't for Jonathan Quick, I mean, I'm really surprised Vegas and the Kings, the shot totals were so close. Because when you watch that game, you would expect Vegas to have like 40 plus shots. Uh, granted, the shot attempts were very lopsided. Right. Um, yeah, I, Vegas I, almost doubled them up. I think yeah, in I terms think, of shot I, attempts, I, it was seventy something to forty four for Vegas mm-hmm. last I last I looked. So that tells you a lot of, in, in terms of the possession and all that. But it's worrisome um, to a certain degree. But I, I also look at the flip side where the Kings. I don't think it was a lack of effort. I think the team showed up to skate, uh, even though they looked like they were. I don't know, skating through mud most of the game. They they were, you know, trying out there. It wasn't like they no-showed the game where many times, you know, we've watched the game this season in the first period and it just looks like they just weren't even there. Uh, I don't think this was the case. The positive, I guess, if I could <laughs> hone in on one or two is that it was a one-shot game and Dustin Brown had what looked like the game-tying goal basically gift-wrapped to him uh, right in front of the net. I, I right. still kind of confused on how he he shot that wide or whatever it was. But if he scores that, conceivably, you know, you're going to overtime. And granted, it's not regular season overtime where anything can happen. But there's still a lot of anything can happen uh, emotion in overtime, even in yeah. the Stanley Cup playoffs. So in that respect, you know, what are you going to do? Like. I don't think Flurry stole the game. I don't even think Flurry was that sharp. I don't think he had to be sharp. The Kings were not dangerous all game. So I think what it comes down to is in a in a road game like that, game one in that kind of building, you just got to score on your chances. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I agree. I don't think that they were. It's weird. It's weird for me to say that like they didn't generate much offense. The shot attempts were. They were outnumbered. They weren't really getting chances in high danger areas. And yet at the same time, I agree with you. I watched that game and I didn't really feel like they were getting outplayed necessarily. Um, They just weren't, they weren't finding those holes. They weren't weren't finding those opportunities. Yeah. I mean, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. I mean, it's just that, that two or three passes that you needed that, that you know that setup in the zone actually make something happen to it. There was nothing sustained whatsoever for me to feel like that, that they could build on from one shift to the next. And um, yeah, it's, again, I'm not I'm not shocked that they lost the game. You know, they could have lost four three, and right, it wouldn't make any difference. Right, a loss is a loss in that sense. And I don't think it was like you mentioned. I to compare it to the most recent game that sounds like that but the very last game of the regular season where they looked like they could care absolutely no less than how little they cared and they let dallas walk out to a 4-0 lead to end the regular season it didn't have that kind of a feel at all it just seemed like they were frustrated as well by their own offensive ineptitude their inability to kind of just why isn't this pass working? Why isn't this, this is supposed to work kind of thing. It wasn't. So I don't know. I, I'm hoping it's just kind of a one, one off bad game. You brush it off. You show up the next one, you do better. You know that you've beaten this game in the regular season. You know exactly how to play them to beat them. And I mean, bright sides, they got one goal, right? The top line, they were present, but 
I don't think I don't think I really felt like Carlson, Marsh or so, and um, uh, man, and, and Smith were you know were taking over the game at any point or anything like that. And I I certainly don't think that like oh man, what are we going to do about Nate Schmidt or Derek England? You know these cornerstone defensemen that are just going to take over the series. I I don't I don't get that sense from any of their any of their defense. Those guys are all beatable in my mind, especially based on the talent that we have on the forward lines. It just requires people actually showing up and doing what they're capable of doing. Yeah. You know, one thing you mentioned, all those defensemen, Colin Miller, uh, former King, I guess, former King's prospect. He looked really good last game. Mm -hmm. And there was this one move, man. He He definitely, that's what really jumped out at me. There was this one play where they did, kind of a um i don't know a high switch uh on the half wall kind of forward went up and defenseman they did that switch with a little drop pass and he was absolutely flying down the wing and i was like why why don't we have this guy again and then i remembered that it was in the uh Lucic jones deal which is fine whatever i don't want to <laughs> i don't think we need to get into that right now uh but in terms of the Kings, in terms of how they performed, let's talk about a few players in that game. Um, and we got to start with the defense because the, the Kings defense is going to be a theme in this episode. Spoiler for you guys, <laughs> because we all know what happened earlier today with Drew Doughty and, and that he hit he delivered. But we'll get into that in a bit. But the Kings defense, so Ledoux, Fantenberg, both in the game, um, we'll start with those two um your thoughts on i guess their usage the way they performed in both their very first playoff games um with a little bit more emphasis on fattenberg because it seems that he's gonna have a pretty big role going into game two now with everything that's gone down and he was almost at 20 minutes he had more minutes than christian folan and paul ledoux um and Dion Phaneuf, actually, uh, <laughs> that might come as a bit of a surprise, but you know, uh, Fanberg was Dowdy's partner, and that yeah. probably factors into his minutes a little bit. But yeah, I mean, let's start with Fanberg. Yeah, I think I think the fact that he was paired with Dowdy is a major reason why he was getting the ice time he was getting. I mean, ostensibly he was just jumping in and taking over for for Derek Forbert, who um, obviously for all intents and purposes is pretty much done for the season, even if they won't come out right and say it. Um, and you combine that with the fact that Jake Muzzin is still questionable. Um, it's, it's, those are two big pieces to take away from the, from the Kings decor. Um, just before you go into, you know, this type of a series where shutting down the offense and quick transitions are going to be the key. And so I think that's kind of, I think the thought process in terms of putting Dowdy with Fantenberg is that you have one is you kind of protect his minutes a little bit. You pair him up with your best guy and okay. Cause we have to use this guy. We have no choice. Um, but I can't give, you know, Fantenberg 12 minutes and Ledoux 12 minutes and, you know, full in 14 minutes. Like there's just not enough guys to go around. So you have to kind of bite the bullet where you can. So I think that's kind of where the logic was in terms of putting him up with Dowdy. And you're hoping that, you know, okay, Drew will kind of make up for some of the shortcomings in his game. And Fantenberg is a bit more of a experienced, maybe a little bit more offensive minded person. Maybe that can actually help push the play a little bit better. Um, 
but it seemed pretty clear to me. And I don't know if this was a game plan before the game or if it was just within the first couple minutes or whatnot that they realized that they could that they had found a weak link, weak link in the in the Kings' uh, defensive structure, and that was Fantenberg. I felt like they kept coming at him yeah, every they chance they got. Him. They did, and that means any chance they had in terms of going approaching offensively, they were entering on his side. Anytime they could dump it in, they were dumping it on his side and taking every opportunity they could to hit him and knock him off of the puck, which they were extremely successful in doing. So kudos to to uh, the Knights coaching staff for for realizing that and you know going forward now that his he's going to have even more minutes. It's just disastrous to think that like what they're going to do because you can't again now you're even you know you're going to have even less guys available to you to play defense. What are you going to do? You know he just has to play better. There's no question about it. He has to. He's going to need to play 16 to 18 minutes minimum, and he's going to have to find a way to not be as vulnerable as he was. I think he was you know. Granted, again, we only lost 1-0, and I don't think it was his fault that we lost 1-0, but he was clearly a point of emphasis. He was he had a bullseye on his back the entire night, I felt. Yeah, um, I, I totally saw that as well. And he was, he was really under pressure, and he did make glaring errors with the puck. He had a lot of trouble breaking the puck out. And to be fair, this is probably all across the board, you know, minus Drew Doughty. Where, mm-hmm. where guys were, you know, really being hampered by that forecheck. Paul Ledoux, you know, he didn't have a great game by any stretch of the imagination, but I felt he was doing better uh, in terms of escaping the forecheck and being able to at least make some kind of play than, let's say, Oscar Fanberg or even Dion Phaneuf, for that matter, and Christian Follin, who... Christian Follin had a pretty decent game, but again, he's, he's not the type to escape a very fast and hard forecheck he's just not that type of player and neither is Dion so I thought in that respect Paulo Du was maybe slightly better than those guys in terms of his maneuverability around the forecheck and in terms of his skating he he does have those skills but no he wasn't very you know good either I don't think it's very hard to pinpoint many kings yesterday that were particularly good with the exception i think of adrian kempe who was mm-hmm. probably the king's best player all game yes that you know there's matchups uh, issues there carter and kopitar are seeing tougher matchups and all that but it was pretty nice to see adrian kempe being likely our most dangerous forward yesterday in his first playoff game so that that kind of bodes well for the team uh but yeah oscar fanberg going back to him I'm nervous, Vardy. I'm nervous for game two because now you don't have Drew Doughty in the lineup and Oscar Fanberg is probably, like you said, his minutes are actually probably going to go up right now and Vegas smells blood and it's it's concerning. It's concerning to to prepare for that mentally and I'm sure it's no different for John Stevens and the coaching staff. Yeah, I mean they can they can come out and say whatever they want about you know well you know it's an opportunity for someone else to step up and someone else to take on those minutes. Um, I mean for those for those who haven't been paying attention somehow, um, Drew Doughty did receive a one game suspension for a hit to the head, um, and so he won't be there for game two. Um, and he played twenty eight minutes in game one and 
I don't think it's any, you know, it's any um, hyperbole to say how important he is to the team, that it's a crushing blow to the Kings' chances in, in game two without him around, especially if Muzzin can't go and Forbert's out. That's basically three of your top four defensemen who are not playing. And now you have to rely on more minutes from Fantenberg, from Folin, from Ledoux to, you know, make up that gap. But you don't you don't just find another guy who can play 28 Drew Doughty minutes. Anyone can go out there and play 28 minutes of hockey. There's a difference between playing 28 minutes of hockey like Drew Doughty and just going out there and standing around for 28 minutes and being a pylon. Um so I don't know, man. It's it's as if the stakes weren't high enough for game two. It's certainly going to require everyone buckling down and playing a damn near perfect game to to walk away with a win, I think. And that's the problem, right? I mean, playing a perfect game is impossible uh, yeah. in, in, in today's game. It just doesn't happen. Um, one thing I will say, I thought with all the pressure Vegas did have in the offensive zone, in the Kings' defensive zone, I thought the Kings did – a pretty good job of keeping them outside yes they had the puck yes they were free flowing around a little bit but other than a few power play looks that they had i can't really remember them really you know uh finding the middle of the ice too much against the kings uh drew Doughty playing 28 minutes is obviously very helpful in that department and we're not going to have that mm-hmm. in game two but if the if this team tomorrow can play that style of game and kind of bend and not break and actually squeak out a victory somehow now i think that really turns the tables on the series big time because i think you and i spoke about this earlier today when we were when we were texting is that if they can pull out a victory in game two and going home game three with what should be a complete lineup other than forbert i think by then muzzin would probably get the green light to go drew dowdy's back that you know it's almost like a little bit of an opportunity has presented itself for the team if you want to be kind of optimistic about it yeah i agree i mean i think you have to try and do your best to find a silver lining any way you can out of this i think it can it can definitely be a bit of a rallying point um something for them to kind of you know focus on and and do it for drew or whatever you want to call it or you know Paula dude now will probably get more than 14 minutes like he got in the first game he's probably going to get closer to 18 minutes or something like that just an opportunity for them to kind of rally around and everyone put their best foot forward um and see what they can get out of it i mean again this is a team full of experienced players these are guys who have been here before by and large um who should be able to you know beat these guys they should be able to do this it's just they didn't have a whole lot to build off of from the first game, and that's that's kind of where my concern comes from. But if they pull it off, man, they have all the momentum in their corner going back home. They have, and, and even if they don't, I think I, Drew Doughty's going to come out like a bat out of hell in Game Three and do everything in his in his humanly and you know demigod right. power <laughs> to make it happen for them to for them to win Game Three. I think. But we'll see, man. We'll see. I've seen crazier things happen, especially from this team come playoff time. So I'm not I'm not ready to write them off at all. But it the the, the cards are de- definitely stacked against them. Yes, um, it's going to be an uphill battle, no doubt about it. 
So let's talk about why Drew Doughty won't be playing in game two. Um, I believe it was Must in, the, we. in the second period. Uh, Knights superstar William Carrier was carrying the puck into the zone. <laughs> I believe it's actually pronounced Carrier. Like the delicious bubbly beverage, Perrier. Fine, sure. Um, the faceless, nameless Golden Knight who who entered the zone. And Drew Doughty comes across and he hits him pretty high. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, he drops. It was, a, it was a headshot in terms of there was contact with the head. Now, you can go look at the replay and you can argue that, you know, I... It was shoulder first, and then it kind of rode up into the head where the principal point of contact was the chest, and Dowdy ended up getting the head or carrier, carrier whatever, <laughs> was leaning down. <laughs> it was, was too low to be properly hit. You can go back and forth, but the bottom line is uh, Mustache George Peros today decided that a player with no suspension history, I think he's been fined one time in his career, and I'm not even completely sure about that. Yeah, I'm not sure about that either. Uh, in the Stanley Cup playoffs, deserves a suspension. And there we have it. Drew Doughty out. The first suspension of his career. The first playoff game he will miss in his career. Yeah. And what are, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that was a good call? Do you think that was a good suspension? Do you think it should have been called on the ice? Let's start with that. I know there's... And I think you you maybe might bring this up is that... Some people feel that when the call is not made on the ice, that a suspension is usually almost like a response to that missed call. And yes. so you do feel that way. I think in this situation it is. I think I think it's their their way of saying the refs are human, they missed the call, but we're gonna get it right in hindsight kind okay. of thing. So and I don't think you're wrong at all about that. Um the thing is I don't I'm not going to say the referee should have called it and we would be we would be done with this either because i don't know if it would have gone that way maybe the ref calls it and he gets a suspension anyway i'm not completely sure but i don't really blame the refs i don't really put too much on them it's it's such a quick play i mean we see it in super duper slow motion and it's so obvious mm -hmm. where the hit is it's so obvious how he came across and you're like oh that looks bad on the replay that being said i mean it's not like I'm up in arms about it, right? It's not like I'm, you know, the hit Nazem Kadri put on, uh, I believe, Tommy Wingles today. Mm -hmm. Like, if there's no suspension on that one, I would be up in arms about it. If there's a one-game suspension on that one, I, I would be up in arms about it. Because it's so obvious. It's so clear as day that it should be at least like a three-game suspension. For, right. for Dowdy's, it's like... I, I get it. I get that it would be a one-game suspension. Another part of this is that the NHL took it as an opportunity to set a precedent, you know, for mm -hmm. the playoffs. And that's a big, big part of it. I really believe that. And that might actually end up kind of biting them in the ass, by the way, because I don't know if you <laughs> – other than that Kadri hit, which should be yeah, now. Yeah, there's been like four hits tonight. I don't yeah, know how they're going to parse this that, out. That Kadri hit alone should probably be three games. And then Ryan Johansson – in the Nashville Colorado game came across and clipped someone in the head. So, and it, it didn't even look like he meant to do it just like it didn't look like drew meant to do it. So now you cannot not suspend Ryan Johansson for that play because you have set a precedent in game one mm -hmm. on drew Doughty. And now every single 
borderline hit to the head has to be a suspension. And if Ryan Johansson isn't suspended tomorrow, then I'm going to be pissed off because it's the same play. It's the exact same play. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And that's 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 kind of what my thought was, is that this was an opportunity for them twofold. One, to make up for what they thought should have been a call on the ice, which I could have accepted, quite honestly. Like, had they called, I wouldn't have been happy about it, obviously, at the time, because the game certainly wasn't out of hand. Um, but had they come across and said, you know, okay, it's a major, it's a hit to the head kind of thing, I'd be like, God, really? Okay, fine. You know, I get it. But I wouldn't have expected anything beyond that. That's probably It's true. almost worse. But it's almost worse now. It's almost worse that nothing was called now because not only did they end up losing game one as it is, but now you end up kind of retroactively calling a match penalty, if you will, by kicking them out of the second out of game two. And now you end up handicapping them for a game that he hasn't even stepped on the ice for, for a play that, again, I don't think that that was his intention at all. I think if you just look at how that play was coming around, um, Carrier was trying to cut in or do something. It wasn't like he was trying to duck his shoulder and go farther around him and Drew rode him into the boards. Drew had him lined up with the intention of hitting him well before Carrier decided to kind of cut in. And it was the fact that he kind of cut in and Drew hit at the same time. That's where the point of impact ends up becoming his head. And it's unfortunate and it is a hit to the head. And I get that they're trying to take that out of the game. I I get that part. But it's just it, – it, it's I, I hate the revisionist history portion of it where it doesn't even – get a second glance during the actual game. And then now after the fact, we look at it and we say, Oh man, that should have not only been a call, that should have been a match penalty. Essentially. He should have been kicked out of the game. He should be suspended for a game. Mind you, I don't, I don't know how the refs would miss that kind of a call. It's not like it was away from the play. I mean, it was the only play happening. It was the puck carrier and the guy who hit the puck carrier. So if both refs are looking at that play, there's linesmen as well who can who are available to help with that call is my understanding. If it is potentially being something that's discussed like that, I, I don't see how you possibly miss that call if you think it's so bad that it actually warrants suspension after the fact. It certainly looked like that it was a hard hit and, and Carrier was down on the ground afterwards. You know, that's the part that bothers me about these kinds of plays because then you end up having games like tonight with Kadri's hit or even um, Tom Wilson had a hit as well that was just another brutal flying blindside hit to the head of someone. You know, those are those are the ones that you're going to end up having to call suspensions for. So if you're calling Drew Doughty for a one-gamer for this hit, I mean, what's going to happen? Kadri's going to have to sit out the rest of the first first round. I'm not saying that's wrong, but like that's this is the this is the precedent we're establishing now. No, uh, totally, because <laughs> we're looking at possibly three suspensions off oh, of easily. off of game ones, which is mm-hmm. crazy. Another thing that upsets me about the the whole situation and just in general headshots is is the f- injury aspect of it, right? If a player mm-hmm. is injured and out of the game, you could almost book it that it's going to be a suspension. However, right. if you take a headshot on a guy and he goes to the con- uh, quiet room, gets the concussion test, and they deem him okay to come back, there's a solid chance you're not getting a suspension. Uh, in this case, Carrier, he... He tried to play. 
Uh, I think that's what happened. And then he ends, ends up leaving the game uh, for good. And right there is like when I kind of started to get worried because the precedent, again, another precedent has been set that if there's an injury on the plate, it changes the entire dynamic of a hit, which mm -hmm. I guess I understand. I mean, I understand and I don't at the same time because if, you know, it's all about the intent and it's all about the actual hit. What results from that hit should not be that much of a determining factor. However, it is. So in theory, if, if Carrier did the concussion test and came back, we might be looking at a fine instead of a suspension for the exact same play. So it's frustrating. Uh, again, a part of me understands. A part of me even saw it coming. I think you might have felt the same way too because we were both pretty, ner yeah. <laughs> pretty nervous yeah. earlier in the day um, because it was not a slam dunk either way. And George Peros, I guess, felt it's important. There's been a lot of rumblings about concussions and all this stuff for the past seems like two years now um and to set a precedent in the playoffs like this i guess he felt he had to and mm -hmm. it might even you know the fact that dowdy's such an important player and, and a superstar might have oh, actually absolutely. hurt him in this situation it might have actually made him a bigger target whereas in the past people might say oh he's a superstar they won't suspend him but in this scenario i think it en ends up hurting him because it's it's just a prime opportunity to make an example out of someone and to send a message uh, off a superstar player. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And that's, and I think that's, that's exactly what my thought was that like they would do it. They would just give them a game because it's easy to give it a game and you send a message to the rest of the league right off the hop. Here you go, guys. This is this is what the bar is going to be set at for the rest of the for the rest of the postseason. So whatever you decide to do, keep in mind that we had no hesitation suspending Drew Doughty on a play that fifty percent of. I mean, I, I read so many opinions on this thing from people who had no stake in it at all, from commentators from Canada, from the West Coast, from the East Coast. Depending on who you were talking to, some people were saying just a fine not even a suspension, not even anything. They missed the call during the game. Oh, well, you know, or all the way up to like, that's a two game fine. The NHL has to start taking things seriously about hits to the head. I mean, you were hearing opinions every which way about it versus again, the cadre hit where I have not heard a single person say anything less than like, it's so obvious this guy's going to get suspended for this. Like supplemental discipline is coming for this kind of a hit. You know what I mean? So if you can take a 50-50 hit like the one that Dowdy got suspended for and say that's a one-gamer, that pretty much establishes to the rest of the league what the rest of the postseason is going to be like. And that's why I thought he was going to get suspended is because they were going to take that opportunity and say this is the line. Don't cross it. And then what do we have happen? Like – hours afterwards yeah three get <laughs> georgie p is gonna be busy tonight guys looking at clips in every which angle <laughs> trying to figure out how many games he's gonna dole out to people after he looks at all the replays from tonight's games whoever is in that room with him he's gonna turn to him and say we may have made a mistake here <laughs> by, by, by throwing by throwing that yeah. the one game suspension at dowdy because Man, it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of suspensions in the playoffs. And again, I don't want to make too yeah. much of it. I think the Kings have to look at it as an opportunity. It's an opportunity to really, really turn the tables on this series, really put the whole thing on its ear because 
Man, if they right. win without Drew in the lineup, and they and they steal one in Vegas, and they're going back home with the split, it's a completely different series, and it it's oh absolutely it it's as big a momentum shift as I think you can have. Mm-hmm. You can even use your imagination. What can be a bigger shift in momentum than that? And it's situations that come up in the playoffs. That's why the playoffs are so amazing. Like these situations present themselves, and sports in general sometimes amazing things happen when you least expect it um do i think you know it, the kings if i had to bet money on tomorrow do i think the kings are going to win no i wouldn't take that bet i really wouldn't because without dowdy and what i saw yesterday it looks like it's gonna be a whole hell of a lot of zone time for vegas but again that's why we play the games and that's why you know prognosticators are rarely completely right yeah because those same prognosticators including two beautiful gentlemen who have their own little startup podcast didn't think the Vegas Golden Knights would be anywhere near sniffing the playoffs. And here we are talking about how the hell are we going to beat these guys? I believe we had them at 31st. <laughs> so I, th- I think we had them at 32nd, quite honestly. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we counted them uh, <laughs> in, the, in the standings anyway. In fact, in fact, the exact phrase I remember using is, hey, man, those are going to be easy points for us. Right. And yeah. I, I remember we said we're going to need those points <laughs> to make the playoffs. And, uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, what did you have? Uh, what was your serious prediction on this uh, before game one? Oh, I thought it was going to I thought it was going to go seven. Kings and seven? I thought it was, I thought it was going to go kings and seven. Um, I fully expected them. Again, not – I'm being completely honest. I fully expected the Knights to win game one. At the very least, I expected them to win game one because just just the emotion that they've had riding throughout this entire season. And I know they haven't really been that great the last 20 games or so. They were kind of 50-50-ish. But once you get to the playoffs and, you know, they're doing crazy pyrotechnics and everyone's screaming and excited that you've even made it this far and defied every expectation possible – there's there's too much energy, I think, for a team like that to not at least be able to come out and win game one. Quite frankly, I was surprised they only won one zero, given how much energy they right. came out with. Right. Um, again, yeah, going back to your point that would it have shocked me at all if, you know, five minutes in they were up two zero? Not in the least. So the Kings losing game one to me is not a surprise at all. Um, if they lose game two given the circumstances again i won't be surprised um but it's certainly going to make things difficult for the rest of the series i think it's going to go seven and yeah that's that's my thought i had the kings in six um it just you know to me it came down to experience and it it came down to the fact that vegas really hasn't had the opportunity to play anyone in any kind of series yeah i mean you could point to that home and home series against the kings which the kings took Mm -hmm. both games and but that was the main thing for me is i i felt that over a six seven game span the kings had enough experience they knew they had enough guys who know how to win to actually adjust to whatever was not working or you know keep doing whatever was working against vegas that's why i had them at six Mm -hmm. uh, in six i should say um game two is well it's tonight actually because by the time this podcast is out it will be friday so that's true game two is tonight um and it's 
I'm almost afraid to watch it in many ways because <laughs> just because I, I'm worried about that that four check on now you know not just Fattenberg and Ledoux but also Kevin Gravel most likely will draw into the lineup for the Kings which uh, yeah, good player man but <laughs> that is a tough a tough four check to handle um, yeah. So so we'll see what happens. Yeah, I think the Kings are going to roll seven D. That's my thought. Yeah, I think you, you mentioned gonna... that to me earlier. It's a, it's an interesting yeah. it's an interesting thought. I will say that. I think it's it's tough for it's tough for me to believe that with Muzzin being relatively close to playing, that he wouldn't step up and you know everything wouldn't the stars wouldn't magically align and he wouldn't draw into the lineup. I just don't know how comfortable they feel giving him his usual allotment of minutes. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if they went out with 7D and then that way you can kind of pick and choose and see how things are going. And if he's having a decent game and he can play 20 minutes then fantastic. If, if he's not, and maybe Fattenberg's having another rough game, you certainly don't want to keep putting him out there. So I think, I think they might roll with 7D just so they have options in that, in that sense. Yeah, I think, um, that's a great point, man. I, I, uh, I hadn't thought about that till you brought it up earlier to me, and and it really is a possibility now in my mind because the, it's the flexibility of your defense. Mm-hmm. You know, Kevin Gravel hasn't played a playoff game. You don't. I mean, maybe he handles it well. You know, he does have decent skating ability. He does have a decent first pass. So you don't know. Maybe he shows up and he's a lot more solid than we think, and a lot more solid than Fattenberg or Ledoux, and. Now you have the flexibility to give him 15 minutes and, you know, not put so much of a burden on, let's say, Muzzin if he does draw into the lineup, Martinez um, mm-hmm. and Fanuf, who I'm very worried about those two tomorrow if Muzzin doesn't draw into the lineup because they are going to get worked by the coaching staff and most likely by the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah. I think the also other thing you have to consider is so say even Muzzin comes in and he plays decent, you're you're gonna be asking a lot of guys who don't play minutes like that to play a lot of big minutes. And God forbid someone else goes down, if someone else gets hurt, then you're really screwed. Like you have no flexibility whatsoever if you have to whatever for whatever reason go down to five D. I mean uh, you yeah, just, you're in trouble. Yeah. So I think because of that I would, you know, with my vast coaching experience, <laughs> I would uh, I would definitely roll out seven defensemen and alternate as needed, you know, those bottom three guys that, you know, play 12 to 14 minutes anyway yeah. at a given. Any, any other changes you would make lineup-wise? I mean, obviously we cycle through the bottom six pretty regularly now. Yeah. Or um, at least time allotment-wise or anything else in terms of the lines? it's i'd like to see aya follow just stick with kopitar and brown just let them play mm-hmm. put pearson with uh Toffoli and carter and let them play the only person i want to see kind of being put in those in that role to undo those lines would maybe be kempy just because he has so much jump maybe put him up up there and try him out I almost want to say I would healthy scratch Tyler Toffoli, <laughs> but I know, <laughs> but I know that's ridiculous, and I'm being too hard on him. But man, he was—he had a rough, rough game yesterday. You know, he's had a rough couple of weeks. He we've has, talked about this before. Yes, and we've, you know, we we've talked about this on the podcast, like you said before. We've gone into detail, but yesterday he couldn't do 
anything right. Nothing. He couldn't dump the puck in. He couldn't make a pass. He couldn't hold the puck. He couldn't hang on to the damn thing for more than what seemed to be a second. And when he did let it go, it was almost always a turnover. He couldn't even chip and chase. I'm going to chalk it up to being one very, very off night for him. But, boy, he was he was tough to watch yesterday. And, and I realize he's – I don't even know if he's in a slump. I can't remember the last goal he scored. Um, I think it might have been, been that long. I think it's pretty easy. Yeah, I think it might have been off his shin pad or something. <laughs> so, I, he needs to pick it up, man. He needs to, you know, I know he's a shooter. He's not the guy to, you really have possession of the puck that long to, he's not much of a creator. He's a sniper. He's a trigger man. Um, and that's why I want, kind of want Pearson back on that line because Pearson, Yes, Reader is probably just as fast, if not faster. He's a hell of a forechecker, but Pearson has that touch just a little bit more than Reader does where he could find guys where he's tenacious on the forecheck, and when he gets the puck, he can do something with it. Uh, I respect Reader's forechecking abilities a lot, uh, but I would, I would prefer to see Tanner and Tyler kind of reunited there for one game. And, and I think Reader, Kempe, and... Lewis is still a good Lewis. third line. Yeah, and then I don't mind our fourth line, Clifford, Mitchell, and uh, Thompson. Although a part of me does want to see Mike Amadio draw in a little bit because I think Mike Amadio, he's a big body, um, but he has hands. And mm-hmm. if you look at that fourth line, it's just three of the same guy. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. maybe a little different here and there maybe face-off ability here less grit on the right side whatever you want to call it but with Mike Amadio I think he gives you at least the potential if if the other guys do their job on the forecheck that he could create in that situation that's why I'll say this um I'll go I follow Kopitar Brown Pearson Carter to Foley um who does that leave? Reader, Reader, Reader Campy, Campy Lewis. Lewis, and I would go Clifford, Amadio, and either Mitchell or Thompson. I really don't care at this point. I would say Thompson on that one, man. Really subtly, if you look back at the last few games, even last night, um, Thompson's been a beast in the face-off. face-off That's true. Top, That's true. He's he's been again. This, we don't. We, I've talked about this multiple times, but like it's such a subtle throwaway move that that Blake did, even bringing Thompson in. Like clearly, Fanuf was the was the highlight of that trade initially when, when we got him from Ottawa, and Thompson just kind of seemed like a throwaway addition. But man, he's been really really good in the face-off dot especially when you consider how terrible Kempe is in the dot and and you know you need a guy that you can kind of throw out there sometimes for the bottom six to get to get your draws I mean that used to be what you think Nick Shore was doing but if you look at the numbers Thompson's been like six seven percent better than Nick Shore all season in terms of face-off dots too so just a really subtle upgrade move that i think has actually worked out really well for the no, kings no i agree and you know what mitchell had a rough game yesterday too he did um he was he was being ragdolled a little bit and he yeah he was he was not good yesterday you could say that again for a lot of kings so maybe yeah maybe not keep nate thompson there the face-off option but so yeah i'd go amadio on line four and then Kempe with Lewis because that gives Lewis the opportunity to step in on the face-offs. And maybe, mm-hmm. maybe we'd have the puck just a little bit 
you know, just a little possession probably would be good for the team. And I've heard it's good in hockey to have the puck and not watch <laughs> the other team for what seemed like 60 minutes. Prediction for tonight's game, Vardy. It's yeah. tough, and I'm going to put you on that spot. Are we, uh, I'm going to say 4-2 Vegas. <laughs> I, was gonna, I was just about to say, are we going homer on this one? Or are we going... Oh, God, for, no, no, okay. no, no, no. No, no, I'm... Yeah. I'm I'm a very objective observer of hockey. I'm very rarely do I make a homer prediction unless I'm truly feeling it. But um, no, nah, man, I think I think four two Vegas. And I'm again happy to keep our E Crow per sixty way up there, league leading. Um, but I just I, I just don't know, man. I, I don't think that no. you can. I don't think you, you can recover from all the body blows that that the Kings are taking over the last couple of days. I think the best shot of coming back in this series is going to be getting back home, getting Dowdy and Muzzin back in the lineup, really regrouping and trying to do something different at home. I just, I think they're going to have a tough time um, rebounding in game two in Vegas, given, given this little development with Dowdy more than anything else. Quite frankly, I think if Dowdy's in the lineup, if the suspension doesn't happen, it's anyone's game. Uh, Truly, truly. I believe that, but I think, as much as we'd like to think that it's going to be a rallying cry for the Kings and something for them to kind of, you know, we're going to do this for Drew and we're going to, you know, we're going to win one and take it back even to the Staples Center and everything. I think it's just going to go the completely opposite way where Vegas is just going to just really, really <laughs> eat up our defense. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a 3-2 game. And... Mm-hmm. That I that I'm very. Is that right, Daryl? Is that is that what it's going to be? It's a three-two league, um, so I, <laughs> I'm, I'm something in my deep hockey soul tells me the score will be three to two. My heart predicts Los Angeles. My brain predicts Vegas three to two. So I'm going to leave it at that. It's a. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a pop out answer. <laughs> it's a. God. I just, I just, I just gave a detailed description as to why the team whose podcast we we specifically focused look, on podcasting why they're going to lose. It. Look, it's a scarecrow versus tin man situation here. Okay, so and I went cowardly lion, baby. <laughs> yeah, and you're accusing me of going cowardly lion. It's anyway something about Dorothy I'm not and, even we're, sure and that we're done with the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> I think for today. Um, no, honestly, no, we're no, not, no. because there's no place like home. Ah. It's game three, baby. No place like home. That's what we're gonna call it. No, but if I if I had to gun to my head, three two Vegas is is what I'll call. I just think the Kings will likely have more chances. They'll have more looks. We got two really good goaltenders, but in the end, I think Dowdy is just so important. It's. The one thing that jumps out at me immediately is the PK. Yeah, you can get mm-hmm. by on the PK with with other guys taking quick shifts and all that, but he I think he had six blocks yesterday. Um he just does everything. He does everything. And if I just factor if I'm being truly, truly reasonable, I would say three two Vegas. Kings go back home down 2-0. But again, th- even that presents an opportunity for the team, because like you said, Drew Doughty is gonna be full of piss and vinegar in games three and four i I assure you which could lead to king's victories or like 
25 Vegas power plays. So <laughs> just prepare for that. Prepare for we'll that. We'll have fun either way. <laughs> exactly. Um, It'll be worth the price of admission either way. Yeah. So that's that. Uh, before we go, I did want to go around the league with you, Vardy, and kind of sure. see what you have prediction-wise. We won't spend too much time on it. Maybe we'll give our pick and why. Uh, clearly, we've covered the Vegas LA series uh, enough here. So let's stay in the Pacific. Anaheim, San Jose. What was your pick and why? Um, I think that uh, San Jose is going to take that one in six. I think they've just been a really good team since the trade deadline. Jones is playing fantastic. Um, Evander Kane has been a revelation for them. And it looks like just from the results of game one, them winning 3-0 in Anaheim, that's looking like a pretty pretty safe prediction so far. I had San Jose in seven. Very similar to the reasons you gave. Uh, Cam Fowler is, I think, out for the playoffs. Well, he's out unless the Ducks go pretty deep. And and although their defense is deep, uh, it's, it's still a crushing blow, in my opinion, to them. Uh, out of Martin Jones, we love him on this show. We we haven't you know been shy about telling anyone that we think he's a phenomenal goaltender. Um, and Evander Kane, man, I. That's why I didn't want to play. Vegas. Uh, that's why I didn't want to play San Jose in game one. He has two goals, so I had predicted San Jose in seven. And after game one, it looks like we're both on track. So mm-hmm. let's stick to the West: Winnipeg and Minnesota. Uh, I think the Jets are going to take that one in six. I think they're they're a team that's just having a great season. Um, they've got home ice advantage in that series. Um, I think they're just, and Minnesota's dealing with some injuries now, I think on the back end, it's just going to be, it's going to be a lot, man. It's going to be a lot for them to handle. Yeah. I have Winnipeg in six. We've, we've said these exact words in our season preview about the wild. I don't know why this team is good. And I still don't Mm -hmm. know why this team is good. Eric Stahl has carried the Minnesota wild for seemingly two seasons. I thought he was going to have kind of a come down to earth season but no 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 he just carried on with his offensive ways but i don't like devin dubnik i never have i don't think he's a i don't think he's an elite goaltender i don't care what his stats say i don't care that he was in vincent contention a couple years ago whenever i just don't think he's a good goalie period and i think winnipeg takes it in six as well yeah, I think Minnesota, um, the reason they're good is very clearly the Boost Boudreaux effect. The man is a regular season wizard and just a postseason pumpkin every every freaking time. And I think he's just had a bad draw this time around playing a team like Winnipeg that is firing on all cylinders. Um, and kudos to Paul Maurice, man. I know when we initially started the season, I said I didn't think that he was going to be the guy who was still behind the bench by the end of the season i thought he was going to be kind of one of those transition coaches like the kings had with terry murray but um hey man they did start out slow man they did start out slow and it looked like you were going to be a prophet on that one but turns out i was the prophet who (laughs) who called a very good season for winnipeg so connor haleybuck man sometimes if your goal is doing well that that's enough they're also so, uh, they're also so loaded. I mean, on, Christ, yeah, on that, that goes that goes without saying. That goes without saying. Their yeah. their offense is just silly. 
and, but, um, and just yeah. it, it wasn't enough and now kyle connor is probably going to be up for the caller with 30 goals anyway man that's going to be <laughs> well it's i'm going to uh, segue the into taste that was waiting for you if you do make it to the second yeah. round and it's going to segue into what i'll what I was about to say is I can't wait till Nashville and Winnipeg play each other in the second round oh, because the next series we're going to talk about is Nashville and Colorado. And um, I, maybe we can go one, two, three jinx on this one because I think <laughs> we're both going to say uh, Nashville in four. No, I had Colorado on set. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, nah, don't be stupid. <laughs> Sweeping away. It's going to be a broad sweep by nashville yeah and they're, and think, up, they're uh, already up one game to nothing um and by the way so is winnipeg they're up one no um right and, and just to be clear we did make these predictions before these game ones yep. um and we're just kind of following up with that these results are just are brilliance at work what can i say uh, i can't help if we're right I yeah mean. but yeah i mean this is a mismatch uh jonathan bernie is in goal for colorado um earlier in game one i think the avalanche had two leads and then in the third period nashville's like psych and they just started just pouring it on yeah. and I, I, you're not gonna have to try very hard but um do yourselves a favor and watch philip forsberg's goal oh i saw for it tonight oh man it's <laughs> good lord <laughs> there's been some highlights already man there's been some highlight real goals just in two nights of playoff hockey. how are we down one nothing to the gm who traded philip forsberg for martin erat i like to think of it as being down the gerard gallant more so than being down to george mcphee only because it makes me feel a little bit better sure sure yeah but um all right yeah. let's, let's go coast to coast here um uh <laughs> pittsburgh and philly <laughs> Uh, my prediction uh, now looks silly because I had Pittsburgh in seven games um, and they had they scored a touchdown on Philly yesterday. So what I meant was Pittsburgh seven goals in game one, guys. That's what uh, I meant. But no, I, I had I had Pitt in seven only because I thought the Penguins might start off slow because this is all just so boring for them now, I'm sure. It's like, Christ, it's only the first round. Like, But they came out and... Uh, they did work, Sidney Crosby. Did you see that Sid, reverse back? He's, he's, he's bored scoring goals on the ice now. <laughs> I've concluded this. He's he's decided that he's actually mastered the art of scoring goals when the puck is on the ice and that the next step is to score them when the puck is in the air. I think I think the, he's mastered that too now, by the way. He's I know. I think the I think the final step in his evolution is going to be scoring with no puck at all. It's just going <laughs> to magically appear. He's going <laughs> to he's going to transport the puck into the net. He Precisely. Teleport, I should say. Precisely. Yeah. He's going to look like he's standing in place, and then suddenly the puck is going to magically appear behind the goal line. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what was no, your I, what was your prediction? I, th I had Pitt and six in that one. Actually, I thought they were going to. I thought uh, Philly would put up a bit of a fight because. You know, their offense was doing really well. Giroux, you know, went bonkers the last week of the season. Um, but, man, I guess never never underestimate how quickly terrible, terrible goaltending can sink My your God, did you see some of those goals on Brian Elliott? 
Good <laughs> lord. I mean, granted, some of them were just terrible defensive plays. I get right. that. And, and, I I, and I'm not going to blame him for that Crosby wizardry out of the air. No, fine. But that backhander by Malkin, man, <laughs> just come on. Come on. You got to make a save on that. And yeah, Brian Elliott, not like he has a sparkling playoff record or any kind of record for that matter, even though his numbers have been good in St. Louis in years prior. But man, they needed a save in the worst way and they got nothing. Feathers, ninja dust from uh, Brian Elliott all game. And it's it's funny. They have, I mean, their options are now, do they go with Peter Mrazek, who I'm not sure inspires yeah, much confidence was, in anyone? Do they still have Neuvert or did they trade him? He's been hurt, I think. Oh, He's been he? kind okay. of back and forth hurt. And then they have Alex Leon, who's a younger guy. He's had a handful of games and really no way to tell. Right. I don't think it's exactly a Cam Ward situation, you know, like Carolina had when they threw him in there and he was lights out. I don't think, I don't think they can count on something like that happening. I mean, if, if only, if only Philly had some sort of a top flight goaltending prospect who, you know, they could have developed into a Vesna caliber goaltender. Maybe, I don't know, maybe from Russia, somewhere odd like that. Had they, had they, oh, wait, they did have someone like that. And he's the yeah. goaltender for, for Columbus. And uh, your segues are getting really good, Vardy. Thanks, man. Really, really this good. This is like our 19th episode. <laughs> I, I got to pick up. I got to learn a couple of things here. And By there. the way, before we go to that Columbus-Washington series, apparently Neuvirth is close. To coming back and i suspect he will be immediately put in the crease and it's shoved in there and be like play do the goalie thing that no one and, else on our team can do and judging by his substantial injury history he will immediately be hurt <laughs> seriously he came yeah. back for he came back for two periods i think and he had another concussion poor guy man he's a good goalie it's, it's, it's really terrible it, yeah all right columbus washington um I had Washington in six games on this one. Um, just a good team, even though there's a full-blown goaltender controversy going on right now in Washington. Philip Grubauer. <laughs> Philip he's, he's German. He's German, so you have to say it very like okay. very stoically. Philip Grubauer. Philip like Grubauer is starting. Grubauer. Is starting for Washington. Braden Holtby had to watch game one. Had to watch as Artemi Panarin dazzled dazzled us with his overtime winner good trade chicago good job fellas well done good trade we thank you get him out of our conference it's fine with us uh but yeah washington and six i just think the firepower is still there if they get some good goaltending it, sh- it should be a six game series but then again game one goes to columbus i as much as it pains me I thought Columbus was going to win this one in six. Ooh. I just, I don't know, man. I don't know. With all the issues I've been having with goaltending and as much as I love Ovi and I wish, I wish nothing but multiple cups for him somehow between now and the end of his career. It's just, something's broken with that team. I don't know what it is, but I think ever since um, last season, was it? Or was it the season prior where everyone thought like, this is the year Right, where they loaded up. Like, I mean, when they thought everything was just clicking and it was going to happen. That's the year they signed Mike Richards in, like, I believe a month into the— I think it was two years ago. Right, yeah. it was two years ago. They had Williams. They were loaded that year. 
and yeah. it ended in like, you know, a giant disappointment and they were all left with nothing but rubble in their hands. It was almost like, you know, if you could draw it out, it was like an image of them all laying on their knees, yelling to yeah. the sky, going, why? Yep. <laughs> That's, and I don't think they figured it out since, man. I think they keep coming back and trying the same thing over and over again and hoping for a different result. And I don't think that all they're, all they're having is their players aging and just not getting it together. And it's sad. It's sad to see guys like Ovi and Backstrom, you know, I don't know what it's going to take. I don't know what it's going to take for that team to just get it together. Well, to be fair, I thought uh, Washington was going to win this series basically on Ovi's back. Mm -hmm. um, that was my feeling, but I, but I did have them losing to Pittsburgh in the second round again. <laughs> this poor, this poor guys. <laughs> and really just Pittsburgh is better every single time. There's nothing really else to say about it. And it's a damn shame that they have to play them every single season, but that's the way it is. And I think they'll get past Columbus, but I think Pittsburgh knocks them out. You get the sense that if Ovechkin could, he would pull like a LeBron mo moment where like him, Crosby and, Mal uh, Crosby and Malkin would all just be on the just same team, team if it was, yeah, if it was even possible, just so he can get his one cup. Imagine that power him. play. Imagine that power play. You could put me and you as guys four and five, and we'd have forty assists each. Like it would just hit our skate and just go to Crosby and. I think what would happen would be that like Crosby would literally tell me to lay down on the ground <laughs> and he would bank it off of my head to Malkin's stick. Yeah, and they'd even set us up for a goal. And I'm I'd, sure. It's... And I'd be like, "Good pass, it." <laughs> We'd end up getting like two million dollar contracts just by playing on the power play with those guys. Totally fine with it. Totally yeah. fine with it. All right, next series. I am so fascinated by this series. Boston, Toronto, just the way the hockey gods would draw it up. God, I love them so. A rematch from the 2013 debacle. I have, drumroll please, Toronto in seven. I have Boston in seven. There you go. There you go. And game one suggests that you were correct on that call <laughs> because Boston absolutely hammered Toronto. I mean, to be fair, it wasn't like it was complete domination, but the scoreboard suggested it was but the the game itself had a lot of back and forth rask outplayed anderson there were chances both ways it's going to be a fun series and i think it's going to be a long series and it sounds like you do too and i think toronto is going to exercise those demons they're going to slay that dragon and they're going to move on to the second round in seven games <sighs> exhale i think it's going to end in a bloody heap with both sides two broken and tired to even shake hands. <laughs> they're just gonna wave at each other. <laughs> they're, they're gonna they're gonna do one of those like chin up, yeah, yeah, kind of things. Respect, yeah. <laughs> wave at each other from hospital beds. Maybe I think it's gonna be a bloodbath, man. It's gonna be a fantastic, fantastic bloodbath. And and, uh, uh, and Nazem Kadri made sure that it will be a bloodbath man. moving forward. He had two two very questionable hits. Um, it's the second one being obviously yeah. that has to be a, a multi-game I mean, suspension. You, you want to 
you want to talk like a premeditated, oh, yeah. clearly the goal is to injure. There's not a hockey play within five yards of that hit. And it is just your, your only intention in that hit is to knock Nieto's head into the boards. It, it, I think it. it was Wingles. And I think, um, oh, Wingles. Yeah. yeah. You know, says former shark. Uh, I think this is the first time I have ever seen a player leave his feet to hit another guy who's on his knees. I mean, I've never, <laughs> who does that? Who he, he jumped <laughs> into his head. The guy was on his knees. If that's not intent to injure, if that's not pure malice, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, um, it's going to be a great series. Uh, yeah, it was, it was like some sort of a finishing move. Like, exactly. Right. Fly like, me. Yeah, I fully expect a Jim Ross commentary track like <laughs> under that video very soon. Very soon, and it's going to be great. Don't, um, don't disappoint us, Twitter. Exactly. Don't disappoint us. <laughs> exactly. Last series, Tampa Bay and New Jersey. New Jersey, who you and I thought would be a bottom dwelling team and to be fair everyone did um and tampa bay who was my pick in the season preview to win the stanley cup i have tampa taking this in five games i think tampa's gonna sweep it no he's going for the sweep i just i think that they are another team that again going into the maybe the last handful of games of the regular season weren't doing quite as well as they were in the beginning half of the season, but New Jersey's a bit of a mess right now. I mean, they started Keith Kincaid over Corey Schneider and net tonight. Yeah. It's just Schneider has been a, has not had a good season and he is not, it's upsetting because he, he is such a, such a great goaltender. He really he is. is. And I'm sure he'll bounce back, but yeah, when you're gonna, I agree with you when you're rolling into the series against the, you know, best or second best team in the NHL, and you're loading up with Keith Kincaid. Look, he's not, he's just, not a bad you can't goalie. Have, you can't have weaknesses. That's what it is. Like, if you're going to go up against a team like Nashville or you're going to go up against a team like Tampa that have just been end-to-end solid all season long, those teams will rip you apart for any slight weakness that you have. Any, any you know, any letting down of your guard, and that is the end for you. And I think that's the challenge that's, you know, that the Avalanche and the Devils are up against. And I just, I don't think that they have it, man. I don't, those are teams that are juggernauts. They're built, you know, to roll through that first round. Yeah, um, that that's it for all the series. I, I'm going to stick to my prediction of Tampa Bay with the cup. I believe you called Pittsburgh with the three-peat. Are you sticking to that, Vardy? I think it's still very much doable, man. Honestly, it is. Well, of course I don't it is. I, I don't think there's any question. It's very much doable. I, I don't think anyone would argue with you on that. I think um, for the sake of consistency, I'll say yes. But and Nashville, Nashville. Yeah, I know. Honky honky tonk hockey, man. They might they might have what it takes this year. I have. They're uh, just. They're a fun team to watch, and they have everything. They have everything you need end-to-end to make it happen. They do. I think it's going to be Nashville and Tampa in the final, and it's going to be just all kinds of amazing. So awesome. Um, God. It's going to be great. Uh, maybe the Kings go to the final. Yeah. It would be tough, but yeah. 
I don't yeah, see it I don't happening. Think my wispy, I don't think my wispy playoff beard's going to make it this, too far this year, buddy. Yeah. I'm sorry. I mean, hey, crazier things have happened. I've seen an eighth seed win the Stanley Cup, so so that's that's it for our episode i think we'll be back in two weeks the the first round will be over by then so we'll kind of have either a very happy show or a very sad show uh either way we will be reviewing the knights and kings first round series by the time you hear us next time and we'll we'll possibly actually be into round two of the playoffs hopefully the kings are there let's be positive go kings go game two do you believe in unlikelihood? I do. <laughs> Depleted lineup. Let's steal one in Vegas. Let's take it back home. That's what I'm saying. I like it. Seems like you started drinking early. I've been drinking since last night, actually. <laughs> right around the time the final buzzer went last, I began. Anyway, uh, that's it for us, guys. Hit us up on Twitter. Give us a follow. You can interact with us. We really enjoy the Twitter thing. Uh, we do reply to anyone who interacts with us we we really do enjoy that process we think that's what the whole twitter platform should be about and we're all in on that you can find us on itunes please subscribe leave us a review tell us we're awful tell us we're good we're on soundcloud we're on stitcher anywhere everywhere put in your earbuds listen to us while you're working just don't get fired